Welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast, a podcast for teachers, students, and parents about evidence-based practice and learning. The Learning Scientist Podcast is funded by the Wellcome Trust. Hi, I'm Dr. Megan Samaraki, a professor at Rhode Island College. And I'm Dr. Jana Weinstein, a professor at UMass Lowell. And together, we co-founded The Learning Scientists. And we apply cognitive psychology to education for teachers, students, and parents. And today, during this episode, we're going to talk about sleep, and specifically how sleep relates to learning and how sleep relates to self-care. Because I don't know about you, but now at the end of the semester, beginning of the summer, I am pretty exhausted. And I know Yana's exhausted and all of those teachers out there are probably exhausted and the students and the parents are also probably exhausted. It's a tiring time of year. We're coming off a full academic year. And so it's really important that we talk about sleep and how it's important to get sleep in order to learn and also in order to keep ourselves healthy, both mentally and physically. I feel like, you know, get enough sleep is one of those things that you always hear and that everyone always says and everyone knows they're supposed to get enough sleep. But maybe we don't appreciate exactly why it is that we need that sleep. So it's not just, you know, a mantra, get enough sleep, get enough sleep. There's actually specific health outcomes that are related to sleeping enough or on the uh, flip side, there are um, sickness or lack of health outcomes that are related to lack of sleep. So for example, sleep deprivation can increase weight gain, developing illnesses, including colds, even all the way up to things like heart disease and diabetes. And at the same time, lack of sleep is also related to cognitive difficulties, including impairments in attention, problem solving, decision making, and of course, learning. Yeah. And one of the things that I found really fascinating when I started doing some reading on sleep and how sleep relates to our cognitive functioning was to see that even a two hour sleep deficit can cause deficits in cognitive functioning. So, you know, when we talk about, oh, get enough sleep, the first thing I think of are, you know, the times when I have a really hard time getting to sleep or I have to wake up really early and I maybe only get three or four hours of sleep. And I definitely notice those issues if I'm, you know, if I'm traveling or I'm sick or something along those lines. But it it's actually even just two hours of a deficit can lead to problems. And when we say two hours, we mean six hours of sleep instead of the full eight hours of sleep, which I think is kind of crazy. And I, I bet you there are a lot of students out there who are not getting enough sleep, especially, well, I shouldn't say especially, but definitely at the college level. Definitely. I mean, at the high school level, it also tends to be a problem with kids who are either overcommitted at school and or have, you know, an active social life or perhaps like to like to play video games after or maybe before they've done their homework. So this is definitely something that comes up a lot, even at the high school level. We know that sleep benefits us in a lot of different ways and not getting sleep can harm us in a lot of different ways. But let's dig a little bit into the research specifically looking at sleep and learning. So in this uh, experiment that was published by Maza and her colleagues in 2016, they had students learn and then try to remember French Swahili word pairs. So they would see a word both in French and in Swahili and they would study them. And then they would be given one of the words in say Swahili and had to produce the French word later on, or they were given the French word and had to produce the Swahili word. And they would go around and round 
studying and testing, studying and testing until they were able to remember all of the pairs together. And then students came in and did this studying and then testing at different times in the day. So in the sleep group, the students learned the Swahili French pairs at nine o'clock p.m. And then they came back to take the test at nine o'clock a.m. So 12 hours are are being inserted in between the learning and then the final test phase. But the students who are learning at 9 p.m. presumably then at least get some of, of a night's sleep before they come back at 9 a.m. On the other hand, the no sleep group studies at 9 a.m. and then they come back 12 hours later at 9 p.m. So presumably because they're learning in the morning and then being tested in the evening, they're not getting a full night's sleep in between. They, of course, can take naps or things along those lines, but it's not going to be the same full night's sleep that you would normally get. And the researchers, I'm sure, collected information about that. And I know researchers in this area always ask the students, how much sleep did you get? Did you nap? That sort of thing. But the students in the sleep group for 9 p.m. learning and then 9 a.m. testing should get more sleep than the group that learns at 9 a.m. and comes back at 9 p.m. And when they come back, they take a test. And what the researchers find is that those who got sleep in between the learning and then the assessment test perform better than students who did not get sleep, even though the time delay is exactly the same, 12 hours. So this tells us that sleeping after you learn something helps you remember it better. Now, this experiment also had a third condition that was kind of interesting. Another group that got sleep but didn't get to do any sort of relearning. So they're not getting any sort of spaced practice. And if we compare this other third group that studied the passage at 9 p.m. and then also they slept and then they got to take the test at 9 a.m. compared to the other sleep group, we find that the sleep group that gets to do the relearning, they basically get spaced practice over time they perform even better than the group who gets sleep but doesn't get to engage in space practice. So when you take all of this together, the bottom line really is that sleeping after learning helps you remember that information. And the researchers say that this sleeping leads to consolidation. But in addition, restudying or relearning after sleeping can lead to even bigger gains. So if you're going to do some additional studying or relearning, you probably want to do that after sleep. And this is another reason why spaced practice is so useful, because you're spacing out your studying over time and presumably you're sleeping in between all of those, or at least some of the instances of learning. So sleep helps but it helps even more when you're trying to relearn. And so the benefits can sort of combine retrieval practice, spacing out learning and, and sleeping in between. So that was a study where the materials were fairly basic. They were just French Swahili word pairs, not necessarily something that students may be learning in the classroom typically. Another study built on that one, well, actually, it was a study that was published before, so it didn't literally build on that one. But when we think about the lab to classroom model, it's interesting to look at these types of studies at all the different levels. So the one that Megan described was perhaps more of a lab study because it was um, fairly artificial materials. This next one I'm going to talk about is 
somewhat more applied. It's still in a contrived lab setting, but it took place in a classroom and students were exposed to a lecture on economics. These are students who weren't studying economics at all, so it wasn't part of their classes, but they showed up and listened to a lecture. So what you're saying is that they were in a physical classroom, but it wasn't their classroom. So it was almost like moving the lab to the classroom. Is that right? Yes, exactly. So it's taking place in a classroom, but these are not literally students who are studying economics. So these students were assigned to one of two groups. They were either watching the lecture in the morning and then coming back in the evening to take a test. During the day, they then didn't sleep. And then the second group watched the lecture in the evening and instead came back in the morning. So the exact amount of time between the lecture and the test was held constant. But now half of the participants of students were just spending the day doing whatever they do during the day. And then the other half went home and presumably at some point went to sleep. Now, the interesting thing about the test was that there were two different types of questions on that test. There were just, you know, regular fact-based questions that used information that was directly presented in the lecture. And the other half of the questions were called integration questions. And they asked students to incorporate two aspects of the lecture. So the lecture covered supply and demand in economics. And in these integration questions, students had to incorporate the information from both supply and demand and solve novel complex problems. So now this is going beyond what was shown in the lecture with novel examples. What happened was that students in the sleep group performed about 8% better on the problems that were similar. So the ones that were fact-based and not integration. So already you can see a difference there with the sleep condition performing better than the daytime or no sleep condition. But the really interesting result is for the novel complex problems that required students to integrate pieces of information they'd studied in a novel situation. For those types of questions, students who had gotten sleep before taking the test performed 32% higher than those who hadn't slept. So really, the difference for integration questions was much, much larger than for the purely fact-based questions. So this is super interesting because very often we're more interested in how students can understand and apply information than simply perhaps you know, recalling the fact-based information. So this demonstrates that not only is sleep important for learning of just information and facts, it's also possibly even more important for more complex processes involving integration of information in novel situations. And I just wanted to mention that we're going to put the results of the both of those studies in the show notes, because of course, it's a little bit difficult when you're just listening and can't necessarily imagine what those results look like. It's nice to also have the visual representation. So a little bit of dual coding there, combining words with visuals. Make sure you check the show notes to see the figures from both of those studies. And we'll link to blogs that were written by Cindy Nebel. She was Cindy Wooldridge at the time, at least for one of them. But um, Cindy Nebel, who goes um, in writing and writes in depth about these um, two research studies. So you can read more about them if you'd like there as well. So obviously, sleep is important for learning. Sleep is just, sleep is just essential for our bodies to function. This starts to get into this area of sort of taking care of ourselves, being healthy, and making sure that we are 
engaging in self-care practices. This is so important. And as we go into the summer, a lot of educators who are maybe on more of a nine-month or 10-month schedule might be feeling a little bit relieved that we're entering into this, this summer time when we can sort of relax and try to regroup. It's extremely important. And while it is really good to try to catch up over the summer, you can try to catch up on, you know, some hobbies that maybe you haven't had time to do or spend more time with friends and family. But it's also important to catch up on self-care and then make sure that you carry those things into the following school year. Because the research really shows that while you can try to catch up on sleep, and it's certainly better than not catching up on sleep, it's really not the same as getting the sleep that you need every single night throughout the entire year. Yeah, and a few tips on getting a good night's sleep. So first of all, we probably all need more than we think. For a typical person, we should really be aiming for 7.5 to 9 hours. I believe they recently changed the recommendation. It used to be 7 to 8, and then they increased that bracket to cover 9 as well, because really the average may be over 8 hours of sleep per night. I don't know how many of us get that many hours, but that's certainly what we should be aiming for. And so what that means is that if you need, say, nine hours of sleep, getting seven hours of sleep or six hours of sleep over even just a few days is going to start causing cognitive deficits. Yeah. And so cognitive deficits, it sounds scary, but it's gradual and you may not notice it at first, but what might start to happen is that your reactions might get a little bit slower. You know, for example, when you're driving and you have to make sure to react quickly if a car cuts in front of you, if you are sleep deprived, that reaction is going to happen just, you know, perhaps a few hundred milliseconds, less than a second slower. But that is a very important slowdown that you may not notice, but that will have an impact. Your decision making may get less um, careful or rational or well informed. Again, these are things you may not notice as they're happening, but they are going to be affecting you in the long run. You might have trouble making connections. You might have trouble remembering things. It just kind of slows you down. Yeah. So I wanted to mention a few more tips about how to get a good night's sleep. A lot of us have heard these, but they are really, really important. I've been striving to do this recently, using the bed only for sleeping and other sleep-related activities. So not bringing the laptop into the bedroom to do some late night work. That's a you know one that I've been guilty of in the past. And part of that is really related to conditioning. So we condition ourselves to associate the bed with sleep if that's what it's used for. If the bed, on the other hand, is used for catching up on late night emails, we might start associating it with that. And even if one night we try to go to bed without the computer and it's relatively early, we might be running through our mind all the emails that we still need to answer simply because the bed now has that association. So to the extent to which that we can associate the bed and the bedroom with sleep, that can help us to actually get to sleep once we go to bed. Another tip, which is fairly obvious, is caffeine. But again, how many of us are guilty of having that late afternoon coffee to help us stay awake for the last couple of hours of work? Well, it might help with that, but then it's going to have a long, longer impact through the evening to where once you try to go to bed, you're going to be much more awake than you need to be. So I think I've heard 3 p.m. being mentioned as the absolute latest time to drink coffee. Really try to avoid drinking any caffeine later on in the afternoon and certainly in the evening. 
You also want to try to reduce your light exposure as you get closer and closer to bedtime. So looking at your phone late at night is giving you bright light that's basically preventing you from basically preventing your brain from doing the things that it needs to do to start slowing you down and preparing you for sleep. So even just dimming the lights and trying to make sure that you're not staring at bright, bright screens is going to be helpful. Yeah, and some technology now has special apps that dim the blue light in particular. It's a, That's the specific light coming from a technology that prevents us from falling asleep. And so there's an app called Flux. These are all free that you can use on a Mac, I believe, that kind of makes it more yellow. I think newer iPhones have it too. If you don't have those, though, you can also get blue blocking glasses. They look kind of like sunglasses, but they block all blue light. And if you wear them for about half an hour before we'd like to go to bed, those can also sometimes help with um, becoming more sleepy and less alert and more likely to go to sleep. And then finally, the last part, and Megan already touched on this, is that we really need to be on a schedule that we stick to. It's really not good enough to sleep six hours for a couple of nights and then suddenly do 10. That's not going to work in the long run. We need to get ourselves used to a bedtime routine. You know how babies, when we have a baby, we're always talking about getting them on a schedule, getting them on the routine. Adults need that too. And speaking of schedules, I somewhat recently was teaching a graduate course at Rhode Island College where we had a lot of different researchers from our department coming in and talking to the students about their research area. The students were reading papers and engaging with the authors, and it was it was really a fun class. And one of the um, one of my fellow colleagues came in to talk to the students, and her area of interest is sleep and stress. And so she had the students reading a paper about, I think it was adolescence and sleep and how this affects their their academics and a bunch of other things. But one of the things that she mentioned in the class really was that if you're trying to get kids used to these good habits, healthy habits, whether it's brushing your teeth every night or going to bed at a certain time or eating properly, you really want to set those habits before the child is 10 years old. At least that's what she said, because that based on the research, of course, really before 10 years old, because once you get past that point, it becomes much more difficult to form these habits. So for parents out there who are listening, you certainly want to try to do these good sleep habits for yourself. And, you know, that just because it's more difficult doesn't mean we can't change our schedules or change um, change our habits. But if you have little kids, one of the best things that you can do is try to get them used to these things early so that it's so that it's less difficult later on for them to go to sleep when they need to sleep and get that sleep that they need. Yeah, so we'll put some links to some really good sleep hygiene tips in the show notes. Be sure to look at those. There's lots and lots of resources for how to get a good night's sleep and also self-care in general. So I wanted to mention how this all ties into studying. I know that this is coming out. It's June now, and a lot of students have already finished for the semester, but some students in the UK, especially those taking GCSEs, may still be in the midst of exam season. And so one really important thing to remember is that the sheer amount of studying that you do isn't necessarily going to be what ends up helping you get those good grades. 
it can be very tempting to just sit and study and study and study, but then we start getting into the idea of cramming. And as we know, that's not the most effective way to study. More effective would be to try to space out the studying across multiple days or even multiple individual study sessions with breaks in between and certainly with a good night's sleep in between. Because we know from the research that getting that good night's sleep in between is going to help you consolidate what you've learned, and it's going to make you more effective and more efficient when you pick it back up the next day. So it can be very tempting to just push on and on and study late into the night, but you're doing yourself a disservice and all that information that you've crammed in when it gets late in the night is not going to be consolidated properly if you don't get a good night's sleep. So sleep is important for any number of things. It's important for learning. It's important for our physical health. It's important for our mental health. And in general, we're going to do our best if we're physically healthy, mentally healthy, and engaging in good study strategies and good good study habits. We'd love to hear from you. What is your sleep schedule? How do you make sure that you get a good night's sleep on a regular basis? Get in touch. You can contact us on Twitter at Ace That Test. You can also leave comments on the show notes to this podcast episode or even reach us on our the homepage of our website in the Contact Us section. If you go to the very homepage, www.learningscientists.org, and then scroll all the way down to the bottom, you can send us a direct message. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Bye. The Learning Scientist podcast is funded by the Wellcome Trust.